Divine Conversations wants to welcome Chris Bronze, a fellow alumni of the University of Northern Iowa, the Panthers. And so we're so thankful that Chris, you and you agreed to join us today on the podcast. And Chris is the author of a book that I'm a huge fan of and has gotten rave reviews uh, called Unpacking Forgiveness. And that's something that we're going to talk about today because this is central to the Christian life is what it means to be people of forgiveness. And so Chris has uh, been gracious enough to join us here. Chris, welcome to The Vine Conversations. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Looking forward to it. Well, man, take us back to when you, like, I mean, this book has been out for what's been a decade now? Or more, maybe more. Uh, 2008, 2008. Um, okay. it, it came out. You know how it is when you um, you write a book and you do the interviews, and and one of uh, the first questions that people always ask you uh, when you write a particular book is, so why did you write this book on forgiveness? You anticipated my first question. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, really? Well, I, you know, when when that question comes up, it, it's it's always like, oh, you know why I wrote it. I mean, we live in a really, really uh, broken world, right. and we live in a broken world, uh, first and foremost, in our own lostness before we know Christ, but then in our ongoing uh, relationships, and if, if we're going to move forward in our sanctification and being conformed to the image of Christ, then we have to unpack forgiveness and so there's just a lot uh, there to write about that, that I've worked through in my own journey. Uh, but also as a pastor, I'm a pastor, and so yeah. I've had a lot, been a pastor for 27 years, and so have had a lot of lot of forgiveness discussions. So I'm curious if you're willing to share, if there's anything you can share, um, are there some pivotal forgiveness moments in your life where you really had to confront at a deep emotional level what the Bible says about forgiveness? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, painful enough uh, that, you know, I've really processed that that part of the reason, you know, part of how God is using those things is so I can be an encouragement uh, to others. So it's like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, when he talks about how troubled they were, they despaired even of life, but they knew that that, that might come, that they, that they might be a comfort or better... A better word, perhaps translation there, exhorter, encourager. And so for my how, my life, uh, my growing up family, very, very broken, a very broken situation. In fact, when I was at Cedar Falls, a graduate student at Cedar Falls, um, my parents were just going through a really awful divorce. And so that's a, a big part of my journey. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll show how old I am. I mean, that was like in 1986. And, and you know, the thing about a divorce, it's never over. Uh, you know, all these years later, uh, still working through it, uh, things still coming out. So a lot there, but then also um, in church world, you know, gone through big disappointments and uh, lots of heartache there as a pastor. And so both, both those situations come to bear a lot. And then with, with, with unpacking forgiveness coming out in 2008 and speaking, you know, about forgiveness over so many times that so many 
audiences, just a real sensitivity there too. I mean, I can just almost promise I would go into any forum to speak about forgiveness and look out at faces and we would start to talk about the issues and right away I would see a glistening eyes of people that were wounded, you know, not superficially, but right down at the depths of their heart. And, and here's the other thing, they weren't sure if they even wanna talk about forgiveness. I mean, they, they didn't wanna hear me uh, talk. I remember a lady came up to me, I was her pastor, she came up to me afterwards, I said I was gonna do a series on forgiveness. And she said, I don't wanna hear this. And I, I was taken aback. And I, I said, why, why not? And she said, you know, uh, and there's a, I was abused as a junior hire, and I'm, I'm just speaking about this in very general terms. It was a family member, often this is the case, and the family members, members really never owned up to it. And I have a junior high daughter now who could potentially be around this family member. And she said, you're gonna tell me that uh, I just have to let go of that, get over it and move on. If I'm a Christian, I don't wanna hear it. And, and of course, uh, that's, that wasn't, that isn't what God's word says. And, you know, the thing I said to her that I would say to anyone listening is come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Je Jesus says, if you're wounded at the depths of your heart by someone, uh, don't stay away from Christ, come to him. And then, it, but then he says, don't come to me passively, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. From gentle and humble in heart, you'll find rest for your souls. And th that's what I would say to people listening now is listen, get involved in Christian community, take Christ's yoke upon you and learn from him. And you will find that he is gentle and humble in heart. And there's where you will find rest for your souls. Nothing better than uh, unpacking forgiveness with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and that's what, you know, when we're, man, I can relate to this in my own life. When we are entrenched in maybe the opposite of forgiveness, I'd like to hear what you would say, but maybe I would say as bitterness. Um, maybe I'm entrenched in some deep bitterness in my heart that hasn't been released or let go. That's the opposite of rest. That's chaos in my heart, yeah. right? And when Jesus says, rest for your souls, um, man, that's, that's such a helpful framework for thinking about this, Chris. And even as you were sharing your story, I was thinking of um, like, yeah, maybe, I don't know if it's the worst, but maybe the most challenging people to talk to about this are those that have been victims of sexual abuse. And, um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and we've talked about this on this podcast, um, in the past, but man, even in my own friend group, um, uh, of course they will stay anonymous, but in my own friend group, no one listening to this podcast will even know these folks, but, um, you know, their, uh, the, the husband who's my age and is a friend, um, they found out a few years ago that his father had been sexually abusing his daughters. So grandpa is sexually abusing yeah, right, right, right. the granddaughters. Like I can't think of anything that would be more devastating than that in this world. And when you talk about forgiveness again, like, I think this might be a good segue, Chris, to talk about um, this <laughs> going from something super sensitive to going to something theological might seem abrupt, but they're absolutely connected. 
and yeah. talking about this idea of conditional versus unconditional forgiveness. And I know that's one of the, um, you know, so let me back up. When I even frame it in that way, a lot of people are going to sit there going, what the heck? Those are big words. Why are we talking about, you know, some theological debate about, but Chris, can you bring that concept to bear on like the situation that I just articulated and conditional yeah, versus so, unconditional so, forgiveness? And- yeah. Yeah. And when, I will. And, and, and I just want to say again, because you said in your friend group, you know, there's this pain. I'll tell you what, in almost everyone's friend group, whether or not you've talked about it, whether or not those things have come out, our, our world is broken and it, it's broken in a very fundamental way sexually. So um, you just you just see that right away. You, you in the in the book of Genesis, uh, God's plan for marriage is at the heart of the creation mandate. When Adam and Eve rebel, uh, God's it goes right, sin goes right to the heart of things. So that's there. And and if someone's listening, you know we're we're about to get more theological. But listen, uh, this is for you if you've been there. So I want to be sensitive uh, to that because you can you got people out here whose their dad died having sexually abused them and never took ownership for it. And they got to figure out how to work with that. What do I do with that? And, and how can I not be defined by that? And then it's easy to get a couple guys having talking about theological things in a very academic way that seems insensitive. So I, I just want uh, the brothers and sisters who are working through those things to understand we're, we're going to get to that. But you know, where forgiveness is concerned, there's some really curious things that go on with forgiveness. Uh, there's, a, there's a big move in the last 30 years to encourage people to totally forgive God, forgive God. Um, that started with Lewis Smead's, uh, some work that he did. It continued that I interact with in unpacking forgiveness. It continued uh, with a British author, R.T. Kendall, who wrote a book called Totally Forgiving God. And the, one of the counsels that these people give, um, th- these guys confessing Christians, uh, I think Smeez is with the Lord now, I'm not sure about uh, Kendall. Um, but, but one of the things they counsel is we ought to forgive God of of the things R.T. Kendall says, we should let him off the hook, let God off the hook. And of course, you know, I just think that's completely wrong, completely wrong headed. And, and um, I, do, I don't think they intended it to be blasphemous, but I think that's the implication. If, if I say that God needs to be forgiven to me, I think the implication is that God's done something wrong. But of course, they, they don't say that. So what is it they mean? Why, why would a confessing Christian counsel anyone to uh, forgive God in that way? Here's the answer. Because many people today uh, define forgiveness simply as a feeling. Uh, uh, one, one author says they, they define forgiveness as, uh, not to be crass, but as a moral laxative. Just mm. getting rid of your feelings. I think that that's what I call in my book therapeutic forgiveness. I, I think biblical forgiveness is not fundamentally something that happens to a feeling. The Bible teaches that forgiveness is fundamentally something that happens between God and me first. 
that, that God gives me forgiveness of sins. My sins are no longer held against me or that I can give someone else. I make a commitment to you that you did this to offend me and that no longer stands between us. Now, so, so defining forgiveness in that way, uh, not fundamentally as a, a feeling, and, and I have a chapter in my book, More Than a Feeling, and, and I did have the Boston song kind of in the back of my mind when I, when I gave that ch chapter title. But, but more than a feeling, forgiveness is a commitment that uh, the matter no longer stands between us. That being the case, here's what we mean by conditional forgiveness. Christians always offer forgiveness. We always have an attitude of forgiveness. We always wrap the pack, package. We, we like I'm, like I'm, poised, I'm poised and ready to yeah. launch into forgiveness, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, my little church in Southeast Iowa, where I grew up, we, we had a song we said, I think you probably know, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. That ought also to be the attitude of the Christian, who softly, tenderly, with outstretched arms, stands ready to forget. But if uh, the other party, the offending party, uh, doesn't repent, then forgiveness hasn't taken place in its full sense. So we always have an attitude of forgiveness, but apart from repentance, forgiveness hasn't fully taken place. So, you know, we would turn to Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you, have, you must forgive him. So I think, I think there we have uh, the paradigm, paradigm. We're always ready to forgive, but if the other party doesn't take responsibility, um, if they don't repent, then forgiveness hasn't fully taken place. And, and by the way, go ahead. Get, oh, jump so in. in that sense, it's, a, it's, it's not a feeling, it's an actual transaction? Yeah, yeah. Would that be? Yeah. A, would so, that, does so, that word work? I think so. There are you. There are those who use that a word in this context, and um, you just want to make sure that there's not merit or that they have to pay for it. So, so Christians are always called to graciously uh, forgive. I, I mean, I've been my wife and I have been married for 31 years. I cannot imagine how many times she has forgiven me, but when uh, I take responsibility and say to her, I'm sorry, will for you forgive me? She doesn't say eventually, um, right, or if right. you do this, or, or if, or, you know, no, we, we, she, when we forgive, we, we bear the cost. Now, by the way, what we're talking about here are really serious matters. The Bible says a man's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory to overlook an offense. Love covers over a multitude of sins. That there's a lot of things at the, the Nielsen house where people are inconsiderate or whatever, and you're just like, you don't stop and say, hey, I was doing right. a podcast and you guys were, yeah, you know. So, so we're talking, we moved right to really grave offenses here. What do we do uh, when the offense is great and the, off the offender is unrepentant? That's what right. we're talking and, and, about. And does the word forgiveness apply there? Because that's what we hear, like with my friend, um, as far as he's concerned, as far as I know, I haven't talked to him in, in many months, but um, his his father has not fully repented of this. And um, so in this 
we would say what's biblical is that we don't grant forgiveness because it's impossible to grant forgiveness when it hasn't been asked for. And so the the rejoin, but people might come back, Chris, and say, well, that sounds antithetical to Christianity. Like, why, why, why do people come back and say that? They say it because they define forgiveness in a therapeutic way simply as a feeling. And gotcha. if you define forg- if if you define forgiveness as not feeling bitter, then we ought always to forgive everyone all the time. Right. Um, so 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 that's what I think Smeads um, or Kendall or others mean when they say w- we forgive God. You know that we don't feel bitter towards God. But I'll tell you, at that point, we've taken a biblical word, forgiveness, and eviscerated it, emptied it of its biblical meaning. So and, definitions and that, matter. Yeah, they, 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 they really, they really matter. And I remember way back when I was writing Unpacking Forgiveness, um, Rob Bell came out with his book, A Velvet Elvis. And one of the things he yep. said in, in that book, he, he made this comment, uh, hell is full of forgiven people. Um, and, and, I mean, I thought, well, that that makes no sense. You can be forgiven by God and still go to hell. He's saying God universally forgives everyone. And, and, and I said at the time, and I, and I addressed a little bit in unpacking forgiveness, he's on track to become a universalist because he's now saying God forgives everyone. And it's, it's only a matter of time. Unconditional forgiveness is universalism. God does not forgive everyone. Um, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't do it. And uh, we're called that. That's the first principle of forgiveness that we follow the example of Christ. Yeah. Amen. So, that That's helpful, Chris, really helpful. Go ahead. So, so, you know, when I talk to people, so going back to the situation, grave offenses, unrepentant offenders, uh, one of the first passages I go to is Romans 12, 17 to 21. And I yes. think Paul lays out three principles there. Um, the first one is proactively show love. So, so you know, th- that's the whole theme of the gospel. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in the case of uh, your friend who's been deeply hurt, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, gospel behavior to just build a barrier between the person who hurt him and never show any love. And, and it is amazing how God leads people to proactively show up. Second thing is no revenge. Three times in there, um, Paul says, uh, repay no one evil for evil, where he says, never, it might be twice, he says, never avenge yourselves. And, and he says a third time, uh, just lost my airpod um, he says he says a third time vengeance is mine so never ever take revenge so in the case of a grave offense and uh, an unrepentant offender you remember that and i talk about this in the book the john grisham a book and movie a time to kill where someone hurts the the man's daughter and he takes revenge he kills uh, the people who hurt his daughter listen right. uh, and and every dad who watches that you know, and and in the movie, to, it's a moral dilemma. Like, is it justified or not? Yeah, right? Yeah. And 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 we, if you're a dad and you watch that, it's like, you know, boy. And I've got daughters, but but I'll, I'll tell you what, Jesus would not tell a father 
to take revenge on his daughter, on those who harmed his daughter. I mean, it's clear in the text. But the third thing, so number well, one, pro- but let's spell that out. Going, it's clear in the text. How, Chris? For those that um, don't know, that, Romans twelve. That, yeah, yeah, vengeance is well, and that leads to the third principle: leave yeah. room for the wrath of God. Yeah. Leave room for the wrath of God. Uh, here, here's and and this is this is what I think. Um, you know, our Christian culture has a tends to have a soft view of the wrath of God. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to talk about God's judgment. And I'll tell you what: a soft view of the wrath of God makes for hard, bitter people. Because the way the Bible... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's the privilege of those that haven't suffered deeply. Like, I think I heard, um, I can't remember the author, but I remember an author who had been through, like, the the bloody wars in former Yugoslavia. And he's like, yeah, it's easy for us to who live in the Disneyland of America to just be like, well, the wrath of God, whatever... But if you've suffered like in a concentration camp or under a firing squad with nothing that you can possibly do about it in your human capacities, the wrath of God is your is the only thing you've got to, to make to, to, to balance the scales, right? Right. So so Paul says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. And then what's the next thing he says? Does it or Alexander, depending on your translation, the coppersmith, did me a great deal of harm. Then what's the next thing he says? I forgive him and I just let it go. No, it, here's what the Apostle Paul said: God will pay him back for it, and you too should be on your guard against him. Somebody asked Bonhoeffer. Actually, Bonhoeffer's friend Beth G said to Bonhoeffer, "How is it that you can feel compassion for the Nazis, uh, bearing in mind what they were doing, and they would have." kill Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer uh, answered correspondence. He said, listen, it's only when the grim reality of the justice of God is hanging over your enemies that you begin to feel compassion for them. So, so Bonhoeffer knew that they would face the judgment of God. And for that reason, he felt compassion. So it's sort of paradoxical. It feels harsh, but it gives way to love, to know I don't have to I can entrust it to God. I mean, and just look how Paul uh, comforted the Thessalonians. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter one, he says, we ought always to thank for God for you brothers. And, and he says, therefore we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in all the afflictions that you're enduring. So they're being persecuted. They're being afflicted. Paul says, I'm thankful for you. So now how does he work through that? with them. So these are grave offenses, unrepentant offenders. Second Thessalonians 1.5, this is as evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know the God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints. So, so here Paul is, you don't have to get justice. 
you don't have to say it's okay. God's on the throne. Jesus is coming back. You give it to him. You give it to him and trust him. Amen, bro. I really, really appreciate that. It's it's challenging. It's challenging. So uh, another logical kind of question might be, do Christians lean towards pacifism then? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, when, when, and it, so on an individual level, I mean, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you read Jesus' uh, great uh, manifesto there, um, in terms of our, our personal lives, uh, we don't take, we don't retaliate. But of course, there is a place for government. And, and, and so, you know, there's a place for just war and all those kinds of things. I think that's a different um, matter. Yeah, I'm just thinking in the moment here of all of the chaos swirling around in our culture right now, in terms of what we saw at the Capitol and all this, and some mingling with um, Republicanism and Christianity. This has been happening for a long time, but it seems like it's, you know, been heating up in, in some very significant ways in recent days. And some would say, even in my own friend group, would say, man, Christians have to defend themselves and Christians have to do what we can to make things right in our culture. And there's people out there, like if you look at where I live in Madison, you know, the Freedom From Religion Foundation is a, you know, a worldwide organization. It's, its headquarters is here. And, you know, we're, you know, Madison is known to be very left-leaning. And um, so... Some would say, man, we, it's time for Christians to get to work, and we, we got to defend our rights and, and religious liberty, and do you, and, and I mean, I'm not trying to steer the podcast in that direction, and I haven't, you know, probably even thought about this enough to, to really, like, plant my flag in terms of what I believe, in terms of, you know, where should Christians just leave it to the Lord, and where should Christians get involved, and where are those lines, but... Do you see some overlap here with um, the themes that we're talking about and God being in control, but we also live in a constitutional democracy, or I don't even know if that's the appropriate term, you know, and we we can do things. And how, how do you think about that issue, if I've made any sense at yeah, all? Yeah, no, uh, there, there's definitely overlap. There's definitely overlap, and we, and we, we definitely have to unpack it to use my term. I know that, I know that term's a little tired, but I think it still works. I always tell people when I wrote unpacking forgiveness, I thought of it like unpacking from a trip and got a suitcase on the cover, but it's more like unpacking after a house move and you move on a particular day, but you got boxes under the ping pong table for a long time. And, and, you know, that's where we're at right now as a country. And I think we just have to move uh, biblically uh, solidly forward and we've got to think a lot about Romans 13. There's, there's no room at this point for violence outside of government. Um, I, don't, I don't see any way that a biblical Christian can square that. Um, obviously, uh, we can work within uh, our republic to um, advance uh, God-centered values and so forth. It, it's interesting, I was reading um, is what I do for fun. I was reading a James Madison Federalist number 10 this week. 
and in the Federalist Papers. So Federalist number 10, he's talking about how people are given to factions. He says, people are so given to factions that in the absence of any legitimate reason to fight, they just come up with stuff. And so he's working through what is uh, the best way, then what's the best government, what, what do you do with factions? And Madison says, well, you, broadly you have two, and, and we're really running far afield here, but broadly you have two uh, options. You can cut it off at source, but, but Madison said to do that, the only way to do that would be to eliminate freedom. So if you give liberty, you're gonna have factions. And so then he goes on to argue why a republic uh, is better, a better form of government to deal with factions than uh, a, a straight democracy or, or a completely free democracy. And so it's, as you would expect with Madison, a really eloquent um, point that we have to have representatives uh, who will represent you know, different interests and so forth. And, uh, but yeah, it has a lot, all of this has a lot to do uh, with forgiveness and how we respond. And then, then one other thing, and, and just, we're getting political here, That's but, okay. but let's, let's just say this. Uh, I just think, I would just encourage anybody who's thinking right now about all of this to read a President Lincoln's second inaugural address where, hmm. so it's given, given, I think 41 days before he died and uh, given at the tail end of the Civil War, but it was still going on. And Lincoln's trying to talk about how we move forward. And he, and he gives this famous line, with malice towards none, with charity, that we have to move forward. And I, and I, I know Lincoln is, is controversial at points in his own way now, but I think we have to move forward in love. We have to show love, not take revenge, leave justice to God. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That, that sounds simple, but it is profound. And if we were obedient to what you just said, man, I think we'd go a long way or at minimum the the church would be a city on a hill, you know, that shines brightly in our world, you know, and it seems like that's the emphasis of the scriptures. But Hey, let me ask you this, Chris, um, you've spoken about this at different conferences we were at a conference last summer together where I think you were speaking on this. And I would imagine there's themes that come up in the last 12 years that you've been preaching and teaching on this theme of forgiveness. And people come up to you and say, man, what do you think about this? And what about this? And what about this? I would imagine there's some themes um, and similarities in the questions you've been asked. Would that be true? Yeah, it, it would be for sure. Um, yeah, the book came out in 2008. And I've spoken, you know, on at least three continents about it and all over the United States in one way or another. And, and one of the things that comes up is the superficial treatment of grave offenses, which is a lot that my, I think my book addresses what to do when the offenses are grave and the offender is unrepentant. Uh, what have I learned uh, since I wrote Unpacking Forgiveness. I, I'm always amazed when I hear an author um, who will say, um, I, I wouldn't change a word. And I'm like, really? I mean, really? You, you, you write it, you speak all over it, and you didn't pick anything up? And <laughs> awesome. I, I mean, that, that, that's a, that seems amazing to me. But 
But I'll tell you, we're unpacking forgiveness, being just being really transparent. We're unpacking forgiveness. My book, Unpacking Forgiveness, is concerned. The people uh, that scare me most aren't sometimes the people who push back and argue with me, but the people who, rather, one, one reading that scares me is that somehow people think conditional forgiveness is uh, a right to uh, be judgmental and harsh and ungracious. Uh, I think sometimes uh, the people, and I don't know if I've talked about this before, you know, in a podcast or in an interview, but I think sometimes the people who scare me the most are the people who think they forget, they agree with me. And no, that's not what I'm saying. Christians always follow the example of Jesus, which is to say we're gracious and loving. Um, you know, we, we hold out uh, the offer of forgiveness. And so uh, we just have to be careful there. One of the, one of the double entrandes I like to use is be just like Jesus. And I mean that in, in both ways, be simply yeah. like Jesus, follow his example, but also be just. I'll leave right. room for the wrath of God. Right. Yeah, that's beautiful, Chris. Um, yeah, just so people that might be new again to this terminology, when Chris says conditional forgiveness, what he means is we don't grant forgiveness unless it's been asked for. Now, you'll hear Oprah Winfrey and others talk about you need to forgive. And what she means by that is a definition of forgiveness that we would say is not biblical. She just means try to rid your heart of ill will towards someone. Yeah, right. And right. and we would say we don't want to have like we're not praying yeah. that these people would die of starvation or whatever. That's not a biblical response. But that c- forgiveness is only forgiveness when repentance has been stated and it's been asked for by the offending party. Is that a good way to say it, Chris? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's a conditional statement. Likewise. Yeah. If, if, and so, um, but if, if it helps to, and Ken Sandy does this, I think in his book, the peacemaker to distinguish between an attitude of forgiveness, which we ought always to have and full uh, forgiveness then, then, then I think that is, is helpful. You know, another way this comes up, and this, this one just amazes me, is when people will forgive someone when they aren't even the ones offended. So there's like children, this has happened multiple times, where there's like children or young people murdered, and some other Christian group will come out of the woodwork and say, we forgive this person. Um, it happened at Virginia Tech uh, yeah. with the shooting. And, and you say, why on earth? And how, if, you're, if your teenager had died at Virginia Tech, and then all of a sudden, uh, a, a random uh, church from Waverly, Iowa, just to pull a name, uh, Stillman Valley, Illinois, from wherever, came out sure. of the woodwork and said, we forgive the shooter. Like, how on earth? Why are they doing that? Right. And, 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 and so... Um, I think, well, the, what, they're, what they want to say is we're full of grace and love, even for the shooter, but they're, they're not using biblical words in biblical ways. And then the temptation there, if we don't use biblical words in biblical ways, is we can 
just pervert what the Bible means. And as Christians, that's something we should really care about, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, it really is. And, and, I, and I think it, it, it makes matters worse. An- another big one, a big misunderstanding about forgiveness, you'll hear, you'll hear people say, listen, the first person that you need to forgive is yourself. How do, how do I learn to forgive myself or should I forgive myself or all those kinds of things? It's like, and that's just as so fundamentally misleading. Now, now we all have regrets. We, we have sin, but, but the issue is not that I need to have right standing before myself. It's that I need to be on my knees before my heavenly father and be forgiven by him. And, and what that, that whole idea of forgiving yourself does is turn the whole discussion in on me. And, and what we need is more of Christ, not more of ourselves. Amen. And and so, you know, be, we, we got to be Christ-centered, God-centered in how we approach this. As I'm thinking about this, even in my own life, Chris, I feel like another emotion that is really applicable in this whole discussion is the emotion of anger. And um, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Um, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's what James says. Um, is there a place for righteous anger? How does that work in the Christian life? Um, anger is so much at the heart of when you feel you've been sinned against or not feel you've been sinned against. You actually have been sinned against. I'm, ass- yeah, I'm assuming that that's come up a lot in, in your discussions. Oh, it, it on has this topic. come up a lot. So there's a whole theology of emotions, right? And, and emotions are gifts from God. We talk about anger. It's a gift from God um, that's perverted by the sin of a fallen world. So I often use this example. God willing, uh, our, our oldest child is expecting, God willing, uh, will be. Uh, grandparents, uh, and we are grandparents, but God willing, we'll hold a grandchild uh, in the coming year. Suppose my wife is at the supermarket, and she's as soon as she gets a chance to go somewhere with the baby, with the grandchild, she's going to do it. Suppose that my wife is somewhere with her uh, grandson or granddaughter, we don't know which, and someone threatens her grandchild. At that moment, there's a gift that God will give my wife, and it's the gift of anger. My wife will have a righteous indignation to protect uh, a grandchild that she is responsible for, and that's righteous anger. Um, and and you know, or if, if you want to, let's be Christ-centered, turning over tables uh, in the temple. That was that was righteous indignation. But of course, as you've already pointed out, in your anger, don't. Uh, sin. And we as sinners, uh, I'll I'll tell you what, when I'm, what's to say in my marriage, when I'm legitimately offended, you know, uh, it, it, you know, very seldom do I have pure righteous anger. You know, in the flesh, you always struggle with becoming retaliatory and some little thing, you know, in our family, we just shut a door like just 2% harder. People are like, you mad? Are you mad at yep, me? It's exactly. like, no, 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 I, I, I'm not mad. I'm just, you know, you want to watch something on TV? No, no, I'm fine. You know, whatever. And we, we just have those little ways that we get back. 
And listen, right. that's that's revenge. It's not Christ-like, even even right. when it's slight. Even when it's yeah. like passive aggressive can be a form yeah, of revenge. Yeah. And it, and, and it, passive aggressive can be a form of, of sitting in our anger, you know, now, of course there's a whole continuum that gets really spectacular, but um, it, it's a lot easier. You know, I don't know if easier is the right word. It's very tempting to be angry in the flesh rather than angry in the spirit. Um, and so we've got to be really how, careful. How, how do you think we can guard against that? I'm like, how can we maintain the purity of our anger? Because I find that I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, how do we know when we're in the but, right territory with purity of anger and where, where are the pitfalls there? I'll tell you why. And here, here's the big idea for, we'll go back to the people who are really struggling that they've been offended We'll just go back to that. Everybody's wrestling with forgiveness one way or another. How, how, do, you, how do you work on that or not sing in your anger? Here, here's the deal. We've got to unpack forgiveness in the midst of Christ-centered community involvement in our local church in an ongoing way. Oh, we need to be Preach. with the Lord. Yeah, we, we need to hear the Lord's word preached. We need to get uh, the perspective of the Lord's Supper, you know, we need to get to church and be invited to the table and suddenly realize how petty and trivial we were to be short with our spouse. We need to be in a small group where we we, uh, confess our sins to one another and talk about the struggles. And we need to just soak in the word. And, And short of that rhythm, uh, which we've been so deprived of in so many ways uh, during this pandemic, you know, we're going to be a very harsh, I think, angry people. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've been contacted, and it's a great honor uh, to be contacted by people, you know, from almost as far away in the world as you can get who have questions about forgiveness. And, and my counsel I've given more than any other is, do you have a Christ-centered local church where you hear the word preached and you're with God's people. Often I tell people, if you're struggling with uh, forgiveness, don't read my book. And and they always, you know, they think I'm teasing about that, but I'm sort of serious. I say, no, wait a minute. If right now where you're at, if you read Unpacking Forgiveness, you read this book, however many words it is, I can't, I can't remember. It's, it's like 220 pages. The whole time you read it, you're going to be assessing and evaluating your situation. And, and there's a place for that. Maybe you need to do that. But, but what you need more of is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Uh, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. You just need to think about that. That, that our king said that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, for mm-hmm. they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. You know, mm-hmm. blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And you Amen. look at what's going on in the world politically, and then just think about our king. No one talked like this. No king, no leader had ever taught like this. It, it, it changed the world. It changed yep. the world. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. So Amen. Uh, I'm, I'm getting, it's, it's, it's not even Sunday, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I love it, man. That. You can preach. That's good, yeah. man. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, he, let's, let's continue this progression. I mean, this is really helpful for me and you can just do some, uh, 
pastoral counseling of me and my issues with forgiveness. Because, uh, you know, I, conceptually, obviously, we're tracking with you, and I'm tracking with you, and then I'm noticing things in my own heart. The first thing I notice is anger. Okay, I got to deal with my anger in light of how someone has offended me. And then um, the next emotion that I identify typically, I don't know if you would call this an emotion or just a sin issue, is pride. So I've been offended, and I look at the behavior of those who have offended me or have sinned against me, <laughs> and then I recognize that what they did is very wrong, and I can point to it biblically. Yeah. And then I immediately go, man, thank God I'm not like them. And yeah. I become the Pharisee of Luke 18 of, man, thank God I'm yeah. not like those sinners. And man, it just seems like there's another massive pitfall here in this whole discussion of forgiveness is yeah. when we have the ability to identify sin and what is clearly wrong. That's a good thing. I just preached on Matthew 18 and church discipline last Sunday. And then this coming Sunday is the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so this coming Sunday is, as we're working our way through Matthew 18, is a whole theology of forgiveness through that parable of Jesus. And so as I think about those things, on the one hand, I go, the church has to be crystal clear about sin and be willing to call it out. But on the other hand, in the process of being crystal clear about sin, we can't turn into the Pharisee that just looks down on everybody because we supposedly have it all together in our smug superiority and those people that offended us don't. So, man, I see that as a real challenge for the Christian life. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it is. Start with this. When the other person, what they've done, I view as bigger than my stuff. I mean, again, not to make this keep coming back to marriage, but I'll say this with my wife. I never mind. I really don't mind asking my wife's forgiveness. Um, Sometimes I do mind asking first. Um, I mean, exactly. If, if, you know, if, exactly. if my wife says to me, I'm so sorry, I was so wrong. You know, I say, uh, you know what, I'm such a jerk too. But, but if I've got a feeling that I'm more right than, than she is, then I have this little uh, sinful game I can play to hold off and confess my sins here on the air, to, to, to just be tempted to hold off. No, I mean, it's more her fault, so she should go first. Well, that's not Christ-like leadership. That's not being like Jesus. Uh, that's not loving my wife like Christ loved the church. And 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 listen, in our local churches and, and in our relationships, we've got to be willing to say, well, what can I own here? What can I take responsibility for? Even if the other person doesn't do it, and you know that's what Paul says back to Romans 12, so far as it lives it, depends on you live at peace with all people so so i i agree with that is uh it's hard when you're not completely right but you think you're mostly right to just be humble and and to do that and and then maybe to wait i i remember one time uh this guy just been awful with me really and i asked him if uh god had put anything on his heart and he said no not really and I just, I just had to, to go forward from there. So to take it. And yeah. yeah, yeah. Just take it. And, but I, I, but I did actually, it was when I was writing unpacking forgiveness. I thought if I'm going to write this book, 
I got to make sure I've really owned anything I've got out there. And I had this guy that, that I had in a strange relationship with. And I just went and um, I, I, God put something on my heart that I asked him forgiveness for. And, and I did. And then um, I asked him if there was anything on his heart. Um, and he's like, no, not really. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, we just have, you just have to go forward. So far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And you trust the Lord with those situations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, man, that, that, that temptation to pride is so real. You know, it's like this beautiful, cause like in, in your marriage analogy, it's like, it's very easy for us to believe that like, um, yeah, we both played a part in almost any conflict with my wife, even if it's a 5% for me, you know, there's a 5% for me that I can own. Um, typically it's not those percentages, of course. Um, but, but man, sometimes there's cases like in the case of my friend where, yeah. Uh, he didn't do anything or the yeah. tragic cases of sexual abuse or, you know, we can come up with a thousand different scenarios where there isn't really a, a sharing of percentages. It's just, you've just been sinned against period. And yeah. in those scenarios, many of those. Yeah. Yep. Many, many of those. Of those. We, we many, all... I mean, I've, my wife, my, my wife and I have sat with uh, uh, a brother and sister whose daughter was murdered. Um, she just went out for a walk uh, in a small town in the middle oh, of the Lord. afternoon and uh, 15 years old. And uh, w- the, when they caught the murderer, they asked him why or some explanation. Uh, he said, um, I didn't know she was that young. And it's like, I mean, w- I mean, the, the, there is evil out there. And so, so this thing about this conversation we're talking about, so from the whole continuum of from that to uh, petty little things in the home. Right. Um, and, and, of cor- and of course, our churches, uh, God help our churches. Uh, we need one another. And right now, I've never, I'm, I've been a pastor for 27 years. I've never seen a time when uh, things were so potentially volatile it doesn't matter whether it's about the pandemic or race issues or politics. There are these mm-hmm. topics that like uh, are just about ready to explode and, and it, it, in any one of our churches. And I would just please with, plead with brothers and sisters, just be really patient, really gracious, quick to listen, slow to become Amen. angry. Amen. And, and we, 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 right now, right now you know whether or not i mean we couldn't all agree uh, politically about things i'm sure but we can agree about this we need the body of, of christ we need our local churches to be in unity and running to the table at, at peace with one another amen amen and all of that is so wrapped up in this whole conversation of forgiveness like christians yeah. have to be people that um, are the term I like to use is like spring loaded to mercy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. or like, um, I think of like, a um, uh, like a cat ready to pounce on a mouse, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they're, they're launched and they're poised and they're dialed in and they're focused. And right when that, I mean, it's kind of a negative analogy, but I just, it helps me like I'm ready to pounce on forgiveness whenever it comes mm-hmm. and, 
And if that's and our grace, posture, and, right? And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if that's yeah, our posture, that's how we love. get through these these turbulent times as well. You know, that kind of posture applies to forgiveness, but it also just applies to what you're saying here. Like if we can carry that kind of posture, um, man, I just say amen to what you said about enduring in these times. Well, and be defined by grace, be defined by grace. So uh, I personally worked through horrific situations that in no way could be uh, construed my fault. I've, I've worked through ones where there was debate, but I've also worked through ones like where like your friend. Um, and, and, and I have to ask myself, uh, you know, things I uh, endured as a child or so forth. And, and one of the questions I have to ask myself, listen, am I going to be defined by the hurt that was done to me and my reaction to it? Or am I going to be defined by the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who is going to define me. And, and so again, we, we just keep going back to Jesus again and again. Well, Chris, let's just leave it there. What you've said has been so, so helpful. And, um, man, I, I just feel like what we've talked about today for a lot of people is, uh, potentially life changing. And, um, so, I'm so thankful for you and the book you've written and how it continues to have reverberations throughout um, Christian community you know, around the world. And so um, are there any other books you're working on or anything you're writing that we can be looking forward to? Yeah, you know, I'm on, a, I'm on contract right now to uh, write a book on repentance with Crossway. And oh, so I'm, I'm working on that. You know, when I wrote Unpacking Forgiveness, um, someone said to me, a, a scholar said to me, well, now you need to write Unpacking Repentance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I found that a more difficult book, more challenging book uh, to write. But um, th- there's, there's so much there. And so working on that uh, now, I need to make more progress than I did during uh, the pandemic, the church building program and all all the rest going on during this pandemic and so much and, 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 and coronavirus, I had my own little battle with the virus. Yeah. So, so uh, need to get moving forward. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be um, on. And if, if I could say to people, uh, if you, if you have an opportunity, you want to know where to go next to this, just maybe read Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 aloud to yourself. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Or maybe read Colossians 1, 9 to 20 aloud. Either of those passages and just meditate on them. If you've, if you've gone through abuse, uh, my power, or my prayer rather for you, Colossians 1, 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. May you be strengthened with all power, not your power, but his power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Amen. Amen. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. God bless. Thanks.